Seatings and gravitations, faithful listeners. And you would have to be pretty faithful to have stuck with well, us right, over yeah, the last... The, I think what, we're... This is we've camp- probably done like one, maybe two episodes, I reckon, this, year. this calendar year. Yeah. It's a pretty piss poor effort, that. Um, busy people, busy guys. <laughs> no, come on, seriously, what's the reason? No, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think the restraining order kind of... Uh... Yeah, it's really <laughs> fucked both of us over there, hasn't it? Yeah, we're still uh, fighting over... There's a paternity suit where we're uh, fighting over custodial rights for the bloke pod. Yeah. At this stage, it looks like um, I'll get him Monday to Wednesday, GJ will get it Thursday to Saturday and alternating Sundays. <laughs> yeah, that's right, using some so, kind of crazy algorithm. Yeah, so watch out for those Monday to Wednesday podcasts. They're the real shit. <laughs> Yes, with the emphasis on shit. Anyway, moving on. Um, it's been a while. There's been a lot that's happened. Um, well, I, I think this is the reason why I was waiting for this for this to happen because, despite several, several, several weeks of embarrassing results from Hawthorne, we yeah. just went over to Adelaide against the team on top of the ladder. A lazy 16 positions ahead of us. Oh, wasn't wasn't even close, mate. 14 points. Knocked them off. Well, should have been... Booyah! <laughs> should have actually been more. But dominated the second half. Just didn't put it on the scoreboard. I'm not really going to quibble over <laughs> the size of the margin yeah. at this stage. So, so yes, seeing as although, this is not a video podcast, only, I should uh, point out I am actually here rocking the Hawthorne jumper And it, you, you have been playing the Luke Hodge sounds of the game clips oh. on the See, thank fuck they won. Because yeah. <laughs> if I had to face them getting, sh- getting smashed... And the sounds of the game at the same time. It would have been interesting. Listening to who Hodge out can... there actually decides that this is what viewers want to listen to. It's almost up there with the halftime interview. It's up there with the players like... being mic'd up during the BBL. The halftime interview. The... The... I can't remember. I was watching a game the other week and they were trying to have a deep inside of a conversation with a player who'd had two positions to half toss. I was right there thinking, yeah. you got to yeah, you, you understand what's been going on since yeah. you've been spectating most of the exactly. game. Plus he was too scared to go back to the change rooms. He was like, I can talk for the next 25 minutes if you want, guys. Yeah. Like, I'm good. But yeah, I mean, the only reason that segment actually became a thing Nick was that, yes, exactly! Thank you, and that was not scripted. Like, the last two years of his playing career, essentially his major duty was providing the, um, the post-halftime siren soundbite. Mm. That was pretty much it. Nothing else. Yeah. Like, you hear about captain coaches and that sort of thing, yeah. but he wasn't even a uh, commentator player. He was just well, a commentator I, on I, the field. I actually <laughs> find it funny we bring up Nick, Nick Maxwell giving all the stuff about him as a runner recently, and I, I figure he's basically been doing the same thing he was doing as a player, <laughs> plucking himself at the top of the 50 yeah. and just watching everything that's going on. Yeah, only without the uh, throws up to <laughs> yeah. Triple H and Baz for some uh, deep and meaningful insights. But, I mean, I don't actually have a problem with GWS doing that. What I have a problem with is the holier-than-thou-art response that they came back with. Yeah, I mean, I Guys, you got caught sort of trying to bend the rules to your advantage. That's not something you should apologise for. Just come out and say, yeah, it's clever of us, isn't it? It's actually funny. I remember watching a game over here. It would have been the, the first or second year. And I swear that Simon Caddish spent more time out on the ground than he did in the middle during Simon most of Caddish. his... Simon Yeah. He was a runner for the first couple of years. He was ah, in their, yes. He was in I the development role yes. with them. And uh, I swear he spent more time out there than he did in the middle batting. Yeah. 
It was, it was, well, that was only because Clarkie wouldn't let you play anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, pretty- like, and when they asked Jordan Lewis about it, you could tell from the way he responded was, it was clearly something that Clarko and, you know, the, the, the Brains Trust at Hawthorne had been doing for some time as well. Mm. So it was more just someone finally got sprung for it. Yeah. But the way GWS reacted... Yeah. It's like, oh, this is an outrageous accusation. It's like, come on, AFL, you're, in, you're our sugar daddies. What the hell are you yeah. doing? Stop cutting our allowance off. Like, so rather than, yeah, methinks thou doth protest too much, because rather than getting all high and mighty about how dare you call our integrity into question, why don't you actually explain, you what know, doing. legitimately what he was doing out there other than guarding space? Yeah. No, can't be done? Yeah. All right, fair enough. Yeah. At the very least, you could get him, you know... No, I haven't been called out for it yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, I, sorry, I think we're getting it? away with it again here, guys. <laughs> so sorry, where's that again? Top of the fifty? Yeah, no worries. Run there now. Yeah. See if you can get someone sent off with a blood roll That's on right, the other maybe, side. Maybe maybe I should just point a couple of times. Yeah, I'm pointing now. <laughs> yeah. That way they actually think I'm giving some kind of instruction. Oh wait, I'm pointing to the sky though. Is that not good? <laughs> Rain's coming, guys. <laughs> Coach Rain. wanted me to let you know. <laughs> if you're going to take a high mark, you've got to work in yeah. this plane. Um, yeah. But look, I, again, as I say, so just so proud of the way I, they fought it out last I, I, night. I mean, that game and the Sydney game. I actually just, got to ask you a question based, based on the, the game from the previous weekend as well. How much bad blood is there between Joel Selwood and Sam Mitchell? Well... See, the thing about that is Joel Selwood's arguably the biggest cunt we've ever played the I game. I was going to say, that I actually made a comment to the guy that I thought he was on his period because he was just carrying... Well, on. yeah, that's right. Although so you've got... You would, oh, you would be proud of me. <laughs> oh, in here the, we go. In the last quarter, there was a, a call for deliberate right out in front of us. Right in front of me? Selwood throwing his arms out. I had to say something. What do you reckon I went with? Given he was getting absolutely pantsed by Mark Hutchings of all people. I'll, I'll let you say it. <laughs> what do you reckon? Uh, I can think of a couple of options, but I want to hear uh, it from I went, you. I went, the umps are the only way you're getting a free kick tonight, <laughs> uh, Duckwood. Right. I went with Duckwood too. Fair enough. And the people around here were like, yeah, that's right. Well, I was thinking it would either be that or something about asking the umpire for a hug. So <laughs> I was close. <laughs> but, yo, so as I say, it's, a, it's the perfect storm. A massive cunt and someone who does not uh, tolerate fools lightly. Someone yeah. who's willing to make an injection uh, yeah. gesture into their arm about the whole Essendon thing. Well, I mean, Joel like, Selwood was but, trying to inject his elbow into the back of Mitchell's head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and somehow only got fined for that, which and I... And only gets those free kicks because he continually injects the umpire's penis into his mouth before uh, the game. I, don't, so. I still don't understand how he, how he didn't get suspended for that, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you saw a replay of the incident, it yeah. was... It was a, dog act yeah. it was just vintage Selwood yeah. I mean yeah he is a courageous player yeah he does put his head over the ball but oh, that but doesn't he... change the fact that he's just a fucking oh, uh, can I, uh, I... every time I see him look towards the umpire with yeah. those big baleful eyes I was about eyes. to say is that one thing oh. that was also noticeable was he whines like a little bitch absolutely and you'll see this now that there's probably a critical mass in terms of awareness about how much he does ham it up Mm. The number of times on those rare occasions where he doesn't get given the free, mm. where he'll just be 
like talking away to the umpire afterwards. Mm. Like, I mean, I know the umpire does want his post-game uh, gobby, but at a certain point, surely you just got to tell him to shut up and yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Which is, I believe, uh, paraphrasing what Sam Mitchell was, uh, yes. the sweet nothings that he was uh, whispering into his ear. Oh. I would, in all honesty, I would love to know what oh. he said because he, it wasn't yeah. like a quick, you know, five, oh. ten word blast. He was, he was down there for you're quite gonna, some time. You're going to hate me saying this, but I can't reiterate, it's only probably going to be a one-year thing, but I am loving the Sam Mitchell experience. Well, and this is, that is a lovely segue for me because it's going to bring I, me... I just want to... He's just so... It's... Right, I just want to say is that I've been watching essentially dumb midfielders and Luke Shuey for about four <laughs> years now and the perfect I think the perfect summation of Sam Mitchell as a footballer come half time he's marked the ball about 55 out clearly mouths the word fuck realising that he can't kick it that far notices that Geelong actually are manning the mark as soon as he's got the ball so runs literally to where he took the mark to get an extra five metres, not having to worry about kicking over something, mm. he missed the shot, but it was just the... It's the smart. The smarts to actually sit there yeah. and go, you know what, I can do this. That's what sets him apart. Yeah. And this is going to be my segue then. Um, and it's funny, you know, watching Hawthorne this year, obviously the reason and Mark Duffield talks about this all the time was mm. when push came to shove in the must-win games, there were four players... Yeah. who were thrown into the midfield, into the fray. Yeah. Mitchell, Lewis, Burgoyne and Hodge. Yeah. They were the four players upon which our entire dynasty was based. Mm. Um, and I think what this year has shown me is a couple of things. Number one is that it's reinforced my view that Luke Hodge and Jordan Lewis, I mean, they're actually lucky to be included in that foursome because they are not even close to the standard of those other two. I mean... But Luke Hodge is a good boy. And this is the thing, and it's going to bring me to my second point too. You talk about Sam Mitchell and, as you say, just that almost um, innate sense, feel for the game that he has. He can almost seem to predict things Mm. two or three steps before they actually happen. I mean, obviously his disposal... Um, his ability to kick off either foot and pinpoint a target is mm. second to none. But it's also his ability to see where that target is going to create itself, mm. like ahead, a few seconds before it even happens. I mean, that's the thing. His first game over here, late in the fourth quarter, he has the ball and he's just kicked it into this space. And you're sitting there looking at it going, where the hell is he kicking that to? And all of a sudden, like, Jack Darling comes out on a lead. And <laughs> From takes, out of nowhere! <laughs> takes an uncontested mark 30 metres out straight in front. Now, no Jack Darling, you probably missed the shot, mm. but the point is, it's just, just the, the wherewithal to actually go, that's the right decision. And it's not just to do that, but to be able to execute it with such precision. Yeah. It's... Those are the two things. It's the skills and, I mean, and the, um, the smarts. I like to... I, I hope he plays on. I really do. I, th- I still think he's got another year mm. in him. But this brings me to but my he's second got a want, point. He's got a want to play on, obviously. Yeah. But my second point is that... I'm ashamed to say it, but I didn't really appreciate it until this season. So when Mitchell wasn't there... Mm. My God, Sean Burgoyne just... He does things that no other player in the league can do. And he's like he's mid thirties. I think he's thirty four. Thirty four. Thirty four. Like there have been a couple of games this year 
the Sydney game, which was the Indigenous round. Yeah. And I kid you not, Timbo rocked up five minutes into that game. So five minutes into the game, mm. and I said to him, the first words I said to him when I opened the door was, my God, Burger King is switched on tonight. He hadn't and even, like, the, he'd barely even done anything for up record, until that point. For record, uh, very good last night as well. Oh, yes, and that's, the, so, but that night, you could just tell straight away mm. he was in the zone that night. So, ultimately, he kicked that ridiculous goal on the run from the boundary just before half-time, ended up kicking the goal that really won us the game before Ruff had set shot, the, the reason that we were in a position to win the game in the fourth quarter. But you could just sense right from the start of that game mm. that he was going to impose himself on the contest. And what really shits me about Luke Hodge is that... How many games have Sam Mitchell or Sean Burgoyne single-handedly drastically changed the course of the game? Like, how many times have you just seen them impose their will on a contest and bend it to their will? Mm. How many times has Luke Hodge done that? Mm. I, can't, I can't even think of two or three occasions. Mitchell and Burgoyne do it a few times a year for fun. And as I say, it's only now that Mitchell's gone this year mm. that I've really appreciated, um, I think, the true extent um, to which Burgoyne does that same thing. Mm. And same with Jordan Lewis. I mean, if, if Hodge is a distant third, then Jordan Lewis is, you know, <laughs> he's past the horizon in the rearview mirror. Mm. And, I mean, what's he done at Melbourne this year other than get himself suspended for three weeks? Mm. Like, yeah, I... As good as those four guys were and as important as they were to our back-to-back-to-back, um, to back to back, mm. I think for me what I've really come to appreciate this year is having Sam Mitchell and Sh Sean Burgoyne, even having them playing for any team at the same time is amazing, but having had those two guys in there, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's like Jordan Pippen, mm. you know, it's like McGraw Warren. It's, and that, I do not say that lightly, but Curry Durant is that sort of thing. Sorry, what, what, curry what sport in, is that? Curry are are you it. saying you want to get some curry for dinner? No, no. Of course, the, the NBA finals and the... So, yeah, anyway, Burger King, you rock. And I'm sorry it took me so long to really appreciate that. Couple of... Now, now we'll talk about your uh, yeah. little American first, sports instead. First of all, congratulations, Pittsburgh Penguins. Back-to-back, -back, baby. Oh, yeah! What, so, is that an HL? Yes, it is. Yes! <laughs> My, my vast knowledge of American sports on display and, once um, again. Golden, Golden State, Cleveland, not surprisingly, we had Act 3. Not surprisingly, Golden State ended up wiping the floor with Cleveland. Yeah, you should have gone um, home at the intermission. With the, uh, with the gentleman sweep, as they call it, when you win 4-1. So I don't understand that one. Gentleman sweep, you're, not, you're being nice to them by letting them win one game. So... Yeah, um, I, don't mean, I suppose yeah. it's better than the uh, the ladies. Poor sport. old, poor old, uh, poor old LeBron. Oh He's, yeah. I mean, he I'm playing the world's smallest violin for you right now. Uh, no, I just I just want to say once again, it was one of these situations whereby he was he he played about as well as he could possibly play, but just the the, the sheer weight of numbers that Golden State have. I mean, it's a it's a legitimate dynasty in the making. Well, um, I would absolutely acknowledge that point. But, we were discussing this earlier, having written that utterly nauseating article about how 
I'm coming home. Yeah. Um, you know, single-handedly spiking tourism to Cleveland by about 25%, if you believe some of the stuff you read about it. Oh. I hear now that... Oh, when he meant he was coming home and how much, uh, you know, the state meant to him and everything else. No, nah, it was just a, just a yeah. five-year thing. I think you're just making the point that there's a lot of speculation that he may be bolting and running at the end of his contract next year to potentially LA. Yeah. That's, and I mean, the, that's the scuttlebutt, using a word that you like to use. As hard as it would have been, you know, to see someone give it their all and still um, fall short, yeah. that's what he was coming home to do. I mean, that, that's I know, what, I like... Those three pages of the article were all about. Cleveland clearly didn't take the news, uh, you know, of them losing too well. The general manager who's been there three years. Which is runner-up, winner-runner-up. Runner-up, winner-runner-up. Arse. Got the arse this week. Damn. Yeah. High expectations. Seems a little bit harsh. Yeah, well, because obviously any any coach worth a pinch of shit would have been able to... um, Just take down oh. uh, Curry and Durant. Yeah. What, what sort of Mickey Mouse operation are you running there, mate? <laughs> well, he's the general manager. Not good enough, not Bill. The general manager, not the coach. He's the guy responsible oh, for assembling sorry, the team. Sorry, I'm still thinking football, obviously. Yeah. But my, my point remains, yeah. yeah. When you've gone within, what, a few games of going back to back to back, doing a Hawthorne, as it's now known in my house yeah. um, <laughs> and over your house <laughs> just don't talk to any Brisbane Lions fans yeah, um, yeah oh, but well. Collingwood will probably claim something from when nobody was around to see it mate I don't care about yeah. things before I was born yeah. let alone before my grandparents <laughs> were born yeah. but yeah I mean, uh, what, so what, the, what's the uh, what was the official rationale no one really knows for sure to be honest with that I just think the owner's a dick can we go with that don't be a dick. The, um, That's what all the, of our NBA discussions I mean, end up boiling um, down to. For the record, Dan, Dan Gilbert's been the owner of the Cavs now probably for the best part of a decade. He hasn't signed a general manager or a coach to an extension during that whole time. So basically, Ooh, tough crowd. They're, they're seeing out their contract, they're doing their contract and then they're getting shafted. So, Do you reckon that's what's happened to LeBron? <laughs> possibly. <laughs> So maybe the owner should write a five-page article about. Well, the owner, <laughs> the owner wrote a classic uh, when LeBron left the first time. The owner wrote a classic uh, letter denouncing the king. Uh, in see. known, not known in uh, basketball circles, not necessarily for the content, but the, for the fact that it was written in Comic Sans. That's that's just not right. <laughs> Which is comical in itself. And you wonder why I just have such a passing interest in the NBA. It's just, it's like 95% posturing, arrogant, cuntish individuals who just, yeah, they're all dicks. Again, all I come back to with the NBA is just don't be a dick. And no one is heeding that advice. It's like Jason Dunster with the dribble kicks. (laughs) No one is listening to me about it. Nobody? You say 95%. So you're saying there's 5% that are. And that's being generous, you know. (laughs) You're being a bit harsh there, but anyway. But, I mean, seriously. They write these articles saying, I'm coming home. He writes an article denouncing him. The three 
cunts from Miami sit there saying we're going to win like seven championships or whatever it was. Well, the joke is now that when they say to LeBron's now lost five, it's, they play that quick. So, oh, nice. So LeBron, yes. how many championships are you going to lose? Not one, not yeah. two, not three. This is what needs to be done. If they're going to keep being dicks, then internet, five have back. at them. Yeah. Five Open back. season. Fight back. Mm. So... So, speaking about dicks, <laughs> James Sutherland. I don't know where you're going with this. Oh, I'm going right to the top of the pile. The, the King Dick, not King James, who is a dick, but the King Dick. James Sutherland. Uh, I'd love to know who's giving uh, Cricket Australia public, public relations advice at the moment. They're propaganda In videos. General? In general, just, I mean, they've been pretty bog ordinary for a while now. But they? in particular, these, the way they've just kept coming out with these um, puff pieces, spruiking all the benefits and advantages of their negotiation position. As um, Gideon Haig said on Offsiders the other day, who are they actually releasing these for? Hmm. If you scroll, I think he actually commented, if they scroll down at Jolomont, They'll, real, they'll quickly realise that public opinion is certainly um, not in their favour. Uh-huh. The cricketers are off trying to win a Champions Trophy. Do you reckon they're actually going to stop? They're going to hold an official team meeting the morning of their first game and go, you know what? I watched a fascinating video that arrived in my inbox last and night. Do you realise how good the Cricket Australia payoff actually we're is? doing the wrong thing. Oh, I've mean, seen the error my, of my ways. And I mean, my, you'll have to probably correct me on this, but I'll talk anyway. My understanding is, is that essentially the, the top tier players are actually sacrificing under what they're proposing rather than being greedy. For the greater good. Yeah. The greater good. <laughs> for, to, to basically keep the shield alive and to, to actually try and get some money whatsoever into women's cricket. Yes. Is, that, is that correct? It is. So you can obviously see why James Sutherland has just drawn a line in the sand. And it's like, okay, and that, I mean... That dog won't I hunt one scene. I that. can't understand. How can you fight that? Like, this is, and this is what you it all boils down to. You have guys like Steve to. Smith, Dave, Dave Warner, Warner, Mitchell Stark saying, I'm happy to give money up. And this is what I'd like to just ask. And, and I'll throw like, this out there. No, 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 no. You need but more money. That's Cricket what Australia, what is your counter-argument yeah. Please explain to me, not in some puffy propaganda video, please explain to me why the current system of a fixed percentage of total income, why it needs to end. Tim May wrote one of the single best articles I've ever read on, um, and the f- on ESPN, mm. essentially outlining every single possible argument that they could make and debunking it. It was like Mythbusters. And it's actually comical because that is the operational model that virtually every other professional sport uses. Yes, and the AFL, AFL's with, tried with to a magnificent it. sense of timing, yeah. have just announced their new deal, inked last night with much uh, pomp and fanfare. Yeah. And everyone is just sitting around singing Kumbaya going, ain't it grand? Yeah, I think... That's having more of an impact than the Cricket Australia propaganda videos right now. Mm. Mm. And that's the thing. It's, there's nothing actually to substantiate Cricket Australia's argument other than 
James Sutherland is a money-grabbing cunt and he wants more money. And it's just bizarre to me because with a, with a revenue-sharing model, both teams wear the risk. And it's already in place. It's yeah. not like they're saying, we're not going to let you introduce this. And as I say, yeah, I will probably post a link to the Tim May article. Um, but then also this week, um, Paul Marsh followed it up with pretty much the same sort of argument, but with mm. far more um, blunt adjectives thrown in there. Um, just saying, guys, wh what exactly yeah. is wrong with what we're currently doing? Mm. All of the major American sports do it. Yep. The AFL does it. Mm. There is no compelling argument. Now that we've got it in place and now that it's working so well, oh, no, as Sutherland continues to say, it's served its purpose and now needs to come to an end. I think that same statement could apply to you, mm. Jimmy. To Jimmy, you. Jimmy's... Um, he gets off. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he's, 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 like, that, he's the he's Donald the Trump of um, say, sports the administrators. The Teflon man. Yeah, Nothing absolutely. Stick. Yeah, um, and I think it's been obvious for quite some time hmm. that he is... Well, again, I'll go back to the greater good. Mm. James Sutherland's idea of the greater good is more money in the coffers. Look how that worked out for the English Cricket Board, who several years ago made the harebrained decision to move test cricket off free-to-air television. They finally released a, um, some sort of official document or report on it um, a few weeks back, which uh, David Hopps and one of the other... Um, UK editors on Crick Info dissected and essentially summarised as they won't come out and say it directly but the ECB have basically admitted what a stupid decision it was yeah. to take Test Cricket off free to air and what would the argument for that have been at the time? More money! Money! Oh that's the taxes! That figure thing means the taxes! But I would just counter that by saying yeah and are you getting more money now? Will you be getting more money into the future? You know, have you considered anything beyond just, I'm greedy, I want more money and I want it now? Mm. No, you didn't really think that far ahead, did you guys? Here's a, here's a word that you need to think about with regards to these things. Sustainability. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> no, uh, you know what I, I mean, but No, but absolutely, because yeah. this is the thing. As much as T20 cricket is going to bring in all the advertising dollars and all the, the new fans and with much bells and whistles and hoopla, at the end of the day, I'm just terrified that you can bring all that in, but you have to be engaging fans with your product. Yeah. And I just don't see that happening with T20 cricket to the extent where you're not just bringing them in for the fad, you're bringing them in because they love the sport and they will continue to love the sport and they will, yeah, be engaged with it. Mm. I just, T20 cricket is just too trivial and inconsequential for me to actually see a sustainable future there. So don't tell the Indians that? No, of course not. Don't tell okay. anyone that. On the, on the same lines, have you seen the AFLX talk? Oh, God. Honestly, there is a, an ongoing drinking game at the moment in the world of sport. Yeah. Have a drink every time another sport besides cricket 
um, not, puts forward the idea for a new format and says it will be like T20 AFL in this case. Fast four will be T20 cricket. It's like yeah. they're seeing all the money that's being thrown at the IPL and super, thinking... Super what, six is T20 yes, for golf. Exactly. We've got to somehow, just through sheer um, just force of will, say we are like T20. Please give us billions and billions of dollars. Well, it's, it's more the recognition. Our sport is boring. <laughs> but that's the thing. That line of argument is why these sports... Well, that's I mean, basketball tennis is the, the perfect example of that. Mm. You're not going to bring in a huge new audience and you're mm. going to piss off your existing audience. So it's, you'll get that quick sugar fix, mm. but 5, 10, 20 years down the track... They'll, they'll have, they'll have all moved, all the T20, and this is my fear, all the T20 fans will have moved on, yeah, to the new T20 rugby, T20 marbles, T whatever it is. T20 bocce. Yeah. Because that's what it has to be all yeah. about, actual engagement and developing that love and passion for the sport. Yeah. And I just think T20 is far too, it's, it's not Fragile. really what cricket what cricket fans are drawn to and what keeps them coming back and what makes test cricket one of the longest running sports well i mean it's one of these things that if the money dries up for the players to play and i wonder what will happen next it's really scary because i think particularly and this is the other thing that makes cricket australia's current stance so mind-bogglingly stupid is that they you're treading a fine line my friend right now there is a real real risk that all of the players in the world can decide we're not going to play for our countries anymore yeah doesn't matter what the format is we're just not going to do it we're just all going to become t20 mercenaries Gales. yeah exactly yeah. and you know what will happen then there will be no cricket of consequence played anywhere ever and people will fall out of love with the game yeah. Might not happen straight away. Might not happen even within the next five years. Pantene effect. But, oh. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. <laughs> Isn't that usually your argument to our betting women? <laughs> and I think that's the problem is you've got to maintain that core product of test cricket and keep that strong because ultimately, you know, that's got to be... I mean, just put it this way. What matters? What results matter? What yeah. games matter? And T20, they, they just never matter because it's like a bus. There'll be another one along in a minute. Mm. Another lead coming around the corner. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. It is very, very frightening to me to think that that could happen. And one of the main... The, the thing I've sort of clung on to, certainly in the last few years, is just the argument which is still very true that any young player uh, any young player um, coming through the ranks in Australian cricket what do they want they want a baggy green mm. <laughs> that's what they want yeah. I mean do you think oh, Dirk Nannis and all these other guys who've traveled the world you know played in probably hundreds hundreds of T20 tournaments do you reckon they wouldn't sit back and trade that in for a 50 test career in the baggy green 
and I absolutely think they they would. They Someone. would. I'll take that I, deal. I, was say, I don't. I I can give you one person who I don't think would. Sean Tate. Well, that's because he he couldn't last a test match, mate. Mm. He couldn't even last bloody. 10 overs. Mm. Sean Tate's a different argument because that's the only format of the game that he was physically capable of playing. And even then, usually his third and fourth overs were pretty shit. But I think that's... There's still that... Um, the underlying significance and, you know, the, the prioritisation of test matches above all other encounters is still there. Certainly in Australia, I'd say it's definitely still there in England. I'd say for South Africa as well. India, as long as they're playing in India. Mm. After that, like, as I say, they've got, to, they've got to be very, very careful that they um, don't just yeah, kill the golden goose. And Cricket Australia are just basically saying to the players, well, you know, here's your chance, guys. <laughs> Well, Everyone's been talking about just playing T20 cricket instead. Well, we're going to stop paying you to represent your country. So, have at it. We're going to wrap this up with one thing that I know is going to turn Action Jackson into Traction Jackson. It doesn't take much, to be fair. On ESPN, they were having a discussion after your mate Rafa won his uh, latest oh, French Open. How could I not have mentioned him? And what's yet? his what's his record? There's like seventy two or seventy three and seventy nine and two. No, yes, it's two. 70, yeah, yeah. seventy nine and two. Having a debate about the most dominant person on any given surface. Well, this is the argument I've always. They made. Uh, don't. I can sense where this is going, but continue. They dismissed that in favour of. Tom Brady's record at Gillette Stadium. Oh, <sighs> yes, because Tom Brady has had to beat the best players in his sport anywhere in the world in one-on-one -on -one play. Yeah, because Tom, Bra oh. uh, Tom Brady's yeah. such a great defensive back. Yeah, I mean, you can't it's... even... That's a team sport versus yeah. an... Indi oh, yeah. Americans, why are you so dumb? Two words, Donald Trump. No, that's just a symptom of it. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, they were oh. smart enough in inverted commas to elect him yeah. president. No, to be honest, that doesn't really fire up Traction Jacks. I was going to say, if you know, if they put, put like uh, Roddick on hard courts or, or something <laughs> like that. Like, mm. Sampras on grass would go very close. But, I mean, this is the funny thing. When it comes to the best of all time, I've always, always plumped for Labour. Mm. And the reasons for that are simple. He won... A calendar Grand Slam twice, twice, and then lost the best probably. I think it was like seven, six or seven years of his career. Or five. I, I think, think it was yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, the his peak playing years, he could not win Grand Slam titles because everyone talks about the most slams as yeah. as being the be all and end all. That's why Federer's the best because he's won the most Grand Slams. Well, yeah. just quietly, Margaret Court. 124 before any of you guys were around. Um, but I think Labor could do it. He showed that he could do it on any surface against the best in the world four times twice. Hmm. No one's beat out, no one else has done it once in the open year era. Djokovic once held the four titles, but no one else has done it once. So that to me, I think Federer can't be the best of all time because 
his modern contemporaries shat all over him in their head-to-head record. Like, someone can't be the best player of all time when their Grand Slam record against their major rival mm. is 3-7 uh, to seven, and their overall record is something equally bad. Mm. Rafa but- can't be the best of all time because he's never been able to consistently perform on um, grass or hard courts. So Labour, I think, is the best of all time for that reason. But if you had to tell me any player, any surface to play for your life, then I'm sorry, Labour, you were the best across the board, but Rafa on clay, there's... I mean, I don't really think there's a comparison in sport. In an individual sport, which is played around the world, where you are having on your... You know, in order to win one of these titles, you have to beat seven players Mm. in one-on-one matches... From anywhere in the world. The like, funny thing is, that's what they held against him. It's like, well, you're not beating the field. And I'm why they're thinking Tom Brady's been beating up on a subpar division now for pretty much his entire career. <laughs> but hey, you know, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. I can't remember what his record, what Brady's record is, but it was in the 80% mark. So, it doesn't even matter, though. Like, yeah. Joel Selwood had only lost two games of, of AFL in his first three seasons or something ridiculous like no. that. Like, but it's a team sport. Was it Andrew Mackey's like the fastest guy to get to 200 wins as a player or something? And yeah. Like, nobody's <laughs> sitting down telling their grandkids about how much they love watching Andrew Mackey play. No one's sitting there going, <laughs> oh, he's the best in the world individually. They might, like, you could say maybe, you know, the Patriots are one of the best teams in the world in any sport right now. But, nah. No. no, dismissed. Yeah, I was I was laughing when I heard that. I'm like, these guys are idiots. Yes. Um, so, but anyway, uh, that's probably a, a good point to wrap it up. So yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't get the I, response I, I was expecting, but no, because it's just stupidity. <laughs> At least give me a challenge, mate. I'll rise to that. Um, but look, yeah, that is a fantastic note on which to close. I mean. No other player has won more than seven uh, Grand Slams at any one event in the history of the sport. Mm. Rafa's won ten mm. at Roland Garros. Ten. It's, it's, mm. it's not, not only will it never be touched in tennis, but as I say, across any sport. I'm who, not sure there's... Who Russell won 11 championships? In... Basketball. In a 13-year career. But again, though, like team sport. 11 championships. Team sport, though. 11 championships. Yeah. So you still got to get one more to at least catch him. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's keeping him up at night. He's just <laughs> sitting up in his bed, breaking out in a cold sweat, going, damn, <laughs> damn you, Russell. But, yes, we'll close with that. Rafa, you are no longer the king of clay. You are the god of clay. Later, skaters. Later, Hosen.